Welcome to yeah. the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode is sponsored by Lalo Tactical, www.lalo.com. Use the code Maximus50 to get yourself some Maximus shoes. Also check out 10,000, T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D.cc. Use the code Maximus15 for a discount. Super excited to have one of my old school Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu MMA slash uh, underground Ontario fighting in a bar friends, <laughs> Ricardo Amendolia. Now, Ricardo, um, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Joe, but I don't want to call you Ricardo. I can't for the life of me remember what your nickname was back in the day. Okay, so the nickname that I have is Balea, and okay. that's uh, Brazilian Portuguese for whale. <laughs> Interesting. Because no, yeah. no one knows you. Like back in my day, no one knew you as Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people call me Balea, like in the jiu-jitsu okay. world and stuff like that. It was kind of a, okay. a nickname because I, I used to train in this place in Atlanta. And um, they had this guy, uh, his name was Bull Shaw. The bull was about maybe 350 pounds, six foot seven, just as big as he sounds. Monster of a guy. And, uh, you know, we were joking and I was like, oh, why, where did you get the nickname? And he's like, oh, I look like the guy Bull from Night Corp. So I, I was joking around with one of the instructors there who was from Brazil. I said, man, I go, my game is like a, is like a beached whale. How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I give, how do I say that in Portuguese? And he was like, oh, like Balea something. And then the next day he, we were rolling and he tried to lift me and he's like, fucking Balea. <laughs> and then he just, and then that just kind of stuck after that, you know? That's funny. I like it. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit. I want to know, because we obviously have a history um, you've become, and it's kind of cool for me to see a, a friend from Ontario. Like we were doing jujitsu stuff. I don't know if you remember, like the Jocelyn's tournaments yeah. and the Ontario submission, uh, submissional invitational, like that kind of stuff, which I think you put on, yeah. but that type of stuff, um, we went from doing that to because you become one of the most recognized jujitsu commentators in the world. Like I'm seeing you everywhere which yeah. is kind of cool. So tell us how that happened. Yeah. So I, I you know, I think uh, I've always been passionate about trying to grow jujitsu and grappling here in Canada. And, you know, as you remember, you know, I ran the Ontario submission wrestling invitational and I, I saw event, you know, some pro grappling events that they were doing in the States. So I ran, uh, you know, I ran the event. I invited Mr. Bobby Maximus himself to fight uh, the sugar bear, Kareem Byron. Is he, and, is he still alive? Yeah, he, I haven't heard from him in years. So he, last I heard, he moved to Japan to teach English. That's okay. the last thing I heard of. Yeah, got his black belt. He was teaching and and so forth. So, anyways, I, I always wanted to uh, uh, be involved with like the bigger picture outside of like the local Canadian scene. I always felt like you know if I was attached to the local, like the bigger scene, I could help grow the local scene. You know, just kind of uh, guilty by association or just trying to get ideas to kind of grow um, just domestically. So uh, I started getting involved in some other events and I was helping out some trials for like Abu Dhabi and stuff like that. And then in 2009, I, I hooked up with Fabio Holanda to help organize the, the trials for the World Pro in Montreal. And then once that happened, I, uh, I was like, man, like, how do like, actually, sorry, I, I was helping him, but Somebody in Abu Dhabi said, how do we get this on like Canadian television? So Fabio reached out to me and said, you know, hey, do you know the guys at the Fight Network? 
And, uh, you know, that's sort of where we, you know, first made the connection to get jujitsu and grappling on television. I brought the tapes to the fight network of the Abu Dhabi world pro finals. And they were, you know, the first question they were asked me was like, you know, Hey, can you, can you commentate this? Cause we don't have anyone that really knows jujitsu well enough to commentate. So I commentated jujitsu for them in 2009. It was the first time jujitsu was on television in Canada. And then I just sort of uh, started from there, you know, and then got invited to commentate a grappler's quest. And I kind of put it out there on social media. And then, you know, I just kept getting little gigs here and there, the ultimate absolute New York, more grappler's quest, super fights in Vegas and Boston. And then eventually I got called out to Brazil to do the Copa Podio event, which was pretty crazy. Cause I was like, man, like I'm a Canadian going to Brazil to commentate jujitsu this doesn't even seem real. And I'm getting paid. This is sweet. You know, uh, I, I would have just went there just for like a, a flight because I love it there so much. But, you know, I was married, had kids at the time, so I couldn't do that. So I was, you know, ecstatic. I was getting paid. And then uh, one thing led to another. I hooked up with some of the guys at Flow Grappling and they started to invite me a little bit more, uh, more and more. And I've been kind of commentating for a lot of events throughout the world, such as the World Pro, ADCC. Uh, the Grand Slams and, you know, pretty much anything uh, pro jiu-jitsu I try to be involved in and commentate. But that's that's kind of the story. Nice. And you just launched a podcast, correct? Yeah, I started my own podcast right now. I, like, I just put it on my YouTube channel because I have no idea and I haven't even started to get the audio to like SoundCloud or anything else, but I'm, I'm working on that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. I think, you know, a lot of top level black belts and legends of the sport are, are home and they feel like they're not really, you know, uh, being spoken to. And I, I want to just tell, be able to have them or allow them to tell their stories through my platform. So I, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I started the podcast. Uh, I'm going on my eighth episode and it's going strong. Not as cool as yours, but I'm working on it. Why, why wasn't I the first person on your show? Yeah, seriously. Now there, now we're hitting the important questions here. <laughs> Joe, I will, Joe, I will let you know. I am the only in history three-time absolute champion at the Jocelyn's Invitational. Three years in a row with absolutely zero jujitsu. That's actually a fact. And, and you know what? I, I I will be honest with you. I am a humble enough man to admit this, but I remember you know competing, and we were obviously in the tournament circuit at the same time. You know, back in the day. And I remember, you know, I was like 19 or something. I didn't know how to cut weight or any of this shit. I, I didn't go to like wrestling. I just did grappling and jujitsu. And then I remember like the cutoff was, remember back in the day, the cutoff was like 205 and up. And I was like, shit, if I, if I don't lose a pound, I got to fight Rob McDonald. How am I going to do that? I don't know any takedowns. Man, that guy's a beast. Look at he beat the sugar bear. You know, so, so you, I mean, you, you, you put fear into the hearts of local grapplers such as myself, but in a good, good. way. So that's a yeah, it's a great thing, man. You know, but, Joe, you know, sh sh sugar bear was four hundred and twenty-five pounds. Oh, yes. good. Lord. He could actually move it. Like he was just <laughs> a ginormous person. So that oh, was yeah. uh, that was that was pretty fun. Now. Tell us a little bit about one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is how do you see COVID-19 affecting jujitsu right now? Because I know for people like me and Joe, we can do exercise from home. Like I can hit you up on a Zoom call. I can lead you through a workout. You don't need a bunch of gear. Yeah. But I don't know what to do without a jujitsu partner. Like so, I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. So I think there's three things you can do. 
as a, as a, as a person that wants to learn or improve or constantly improve their skills. Um, you know, one solo drills, you know, you can, there's a lot of different solo drills. You can just get a punching bag and, you know, work top spins, switching, you know, side to side, uh, windshield wiper, uh, just a lot of things you could see, like there's natural gymnastics uh, workouts, all sorts of solo drills. You can get the gi and, you know, sort of uh, and the belt and use your feet to kind of get those spider grips, hip escapes. There's tons of stuff like that. Uh, I think uh, t- this is a good time to do some tape study, um, you know, watching matches and, and learning and trying to really like, you know, learn the game or, you know, see what other people at a higher level are, are doing. And, um, you know, and just, you know, reflect on how you can kind of implement what they're doing and what their techniques are and it's your own game. So I think tapes, you know, tape study is a good thing. I think if anything, some, you know, a lot of people needed some rest. I think this is a good thing. You know, I know a lot of athletes are saying, shit, you know, I've actually got a, a couple of weeks off to, to rest. So we got to kind of try to find a blessing in this, in this whole mess. You know, I, I mean, there's no, there's nothing that's going to substitute, um, you know, the training with an actual partner, We're like, let's, let's just call, call it like it is nothing will substitute that. But I think at the end of the day, there's a ton of things that we neglect uh, on a day to day basis, like solo drills, like working out at home, like tape study, like, um, you know, technical study, like stuff like that, that I think, you know, when this passes, and we actually get to train again, I actually think that we're going to be, you know, not that we're going to be better or anything, but I don't think we're going to feel like we missed too much, you know, as opposed to just sitting home and, and, you know, dooming and glooming and watching techniques and not trying anything, you gotta, you gotta do something. So as much as, um, you know, we can't physically train with a partner, we can, we can physically train our mind, you know, we can mentally exercise our mind and, and stimulate our body somewhat into some of the movements that we need to do. So I, I, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to affect a lot of jujitsu businesses. And I think it's sad to say, you know, probably some gym doors are going to remain closed because, you know, they're going to be closed for a while. We don't know how long this is going to last, but you know, I think at the end of the day, like I was listening to a, a friend of mine, Hillary Williams, she's a black belt and she's a, she's a doctor. And she basically said, you know, this is not the end of the world, but it sure as hell is going to leave an, a, a really nasty scar. So at the end of the day, it's going to pass and we're going to be able to train again when that is nobody knows, but all we could do is just, you know, work on self-improvement the best we can until this thing passes. And then, you know, Maybe we're gonna we're gonna you know value the time on the mats even that much more when we get to go there. Now you had mentioned the business side of things. Joe's got an extensive background in martial arts. He's done taekwondo, competed at a really really high level, um, and and I'm gonna draw a parallel with taekwondo because I'm pretty heavily involved in the taekwondo world as well. Uh, my best friend Will Pace runs a great academy. Uh, he's one of the better coaches in the states. But what you're seeing in the taekwondo world is the people that ran good businesses, they'll be just fine. Yeah. The people yeah. that were running month to month, like they're going to have to close up shop. And, and I'll be real honest with you. I love these Brazilians when it comes to jujitsu, but some of them don't run good businesses. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so is the business landscape going to drastically change? Like is a place like Atos going to be just fine because they run a good business mm-hmm. and all the other places swallowed up. Well, I think that everyone's going to be hit, but I, but it's like you said, I think that the people that have, um, you know, been kind of ahead of the game with technology, um, doing online training, doing zoom classes, doing all these different things, even just connecting with your students is a good idea. You know, some instructors are just, 
you know, they're not very social outside of the mats. And I think that you got to do something. You got to keep that connection. You got to, you know, it, just like telling your students you should come to class every day, you got to keep communication with them on a regular basis. So you're right. I think that some of these guys, some of the, maybe the old school guys, uh, I've had some conversations with people lately, you know, and, and some people are just clueless as to what to do. Others are already, you know, doing what they need to do and more. And I think that as well as that, I think that what's going to end up happening is, um, there's going to be a lot of businesses that come out of this, a lot of school owners that come out of this, that develop their online training, which could end up being like a, another source of income down the road for them. I'm seeing guys that never had any online training at all, you know, doing an amazing job just because they're getting support from their students. So, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say for sure what's going to happen. But, you know, like I said, you know, you could take a good out of any bad. You can learn just like jujitsu. We have to kind of adapt to the situation and evolve. And, and just like jujitsu, the people that don't evolve with the times are, are going to be left behind, you know, and in business and, in, you know, and technically speaking. You know, something you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, trying to find drills and training the mind as much as you can. It actually reminds me of a, a really, <laughs> I, I want to say a really great uh, Korean film that I would recommend that you watch, but I would oh, also cool. warn you that it will scar you for life. Uh, it's called Old Boy. And I know they remade it uh, in the U.S., but the, uh, the Korean version is still better. But there's this, this, the, the, the concept is this guy gets picked up off the street and he's just like locked in this uh, uh, hotel room for like 15 years. Okay. And so during that 15 years, like he's, he's like, okay, I got to like do something because I can't get out of here. And so he just trains himself. It's basically the, the Count of Monte Cristo, if you're familiar with that. Um, mm -hmm. So he's in this room and he's training. He's like punching the walls and he's like trying to get a workout. And when the door finally opens, the line is, does 10 years of mental training turn into anything in the real world? And then he goes out and he fights a bunch of guys with a hammer and probably one of the coolest cinematic battle scenes that you've ever seen in your life. And wow. I keep thinking about that in this current time as a martial yeah. artist. Like, I mean, if I can't go in and actually spar with people, if I can't hit the mats and roll with somebody, like how far can I push and how strong can I come out of this thing? And like, what tools do I have to help with that? Because obviously everything you've got is, is better than nothing. And, yeah. and I think something else that you said right there that is super key to this whole scenario, and this keeps coming up with everyone that we talk to, it's maintaining some level of connection mm -hmm. because there is this community. There's this wide community. There's all these people that are passionate about jujitsu, passionate about martial arts, passionate about fitness, and the businesses that maintain that connection whatever way they can, it's, it's showing how much that's valued. And mm -hmm. I think without that connection, yes, you, you are absolutely doomed to fail. There's nothing, there is no coming back from this unless you've taken that. And like you yeah. said, I've seen this too. A lot of businesses have figured out over the course of two weeks, how to get online, how to develop something. And at least they're trying where a lot of the bigger businesses have just buried their head in the sand and are just kind of waiting for this whole thing to pass, hoping to go back to business as usual. And I'm not convinced yeah. there is business as usual after this. I think the whole playing field has shifted now. And it's going to be really interesting, like you said, that the schools that have figured that out are going to get strong. Like the strong will get stronger and the weak will will fade away. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and like I said, it, this could create another business opportunity for businesses uh, when everything does get back to normal. And, you know, you have to do something. You know, communication is the key. You got to communicate with your students. You got to communicate with your clients because at the end of the day, if there's five gyms in your city, and the other four are ahead of the times, you know, technically speaking or with technology and you're not, and you're just hoping that they're going to stay with you based on loyalty. Well, you know, if, if they're going to be the first ones opening the doors, they're probably going to be the first one to get guys going to open that. 
because that's what that's what's going to end up happening. People are going to be racing to get into places, you know. So, yeah, you gotta you gotta stay with the times. You know, I, I feel bad for a lot of the businesses out there that just don't just don't know what to do, you know. And I don't think I have necessarily the answer, but you got to do something. You can't just it's you know it's like you said you can't look at the guys in jail <laughs> you know it's just like that you know some of them come out of, there's there's the the expression the jail body or whatever i don't know what the terminology but i know there's an expression about the guy that comes out of jail all jack because he's pumping weights all day because he's got nothing else to do um you know for me my for something that i took out of this is you know uh, i only have a few weights we have an elliptical or we have a bike here at the house and my wife started doing p90x and we've got a couple weights and i'm like shit, I might as well join you. You know what I mean? So I was like, this is actually not bad. So you might actually, you know, people might actually find a new passion in working out at home or, or with their spouse or their family or, or, you know, creating different, you know, lifestyle for them, you know, regardless of the outcome of this whole uh, COVID-19 situation. So uh, it's interesting and you gotta, you gotta work with what you got. Yeah. One thing I want to ask about is school loyalty. I was talking to a good buddy of mine, Elliot Marshall, about this. And there seems to be two schools of thought. Um, I don't know if you know much about Amal Easton and Elliot's yeah, business plan, of but they've got thousands of jujitsu students. I think they've got 80 black belts. They're very, very service oriented. Like they're loyal to the member. It's because yeah. of the member that they have a school. There are other schools that you need to be loyal to the school. You're lucky to be taught by a black belt. You have to wear the rash guard. You have to wear the thing. You, if you leave schools, you're an asshole, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that one is going to be better than the other dealing with COVID? Like the member oriented schools versus, because at some point, like I'm still paying to give you an example. Yeah. Suyan and Carlos, who, who Carlos Santos and, and yep. Gian Cueros teach me, I want to pay my membership as long as humanly possible because I want there to be a school. Yeah. And I, you know, when I, when, when, when I come out, out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, and so I'm more loyal to the school, but I'm an old school fight guy. I get that. Yeah. So and, what I can tell you is, is that um, without mentioning names, one of the biggest chains of jujitsu academies in the entire world that people, you know, call, they can call them whatever they want. They can call them McDojo. They can, and they're one of those gyms that you have to have the uniform. You have to have the rash guard. You have to have the gi. Let me tell you something. They were the first ones to organize online training for all of their associations worldwide. So sometimes that, you, you know, that uniformity, uh, that's a real word, but that uniformity, um, you know, it, it ends up being organization and, you know, it can go in different manners. Some of it's cultish and some of it's a little, you know, a little overboard, but it, you know, it's hard to say what will actually, you know, perspire, or, um, what would be successful coming out of this and which ones won't, but that's just what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the ones that are pushing the uniform are pushing the strict guidelines. They're actually, you know, at the same token, they're the ones that are that are coming out and helping their students first. And it's the other guys that are not. So um, yeah, the people that are just sort of, you know, lackadaisy with like, well, you can, and I'm not saying all, but I've, so, I've seen some of them just say, well, whatever, you know, we don't, we don't need to do anything. As far as like the whole um, loyalty and, 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 you know, like you gotta remember, this is something that came from Brazil and there's, it's a bit, it's a very big difference in culture there. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but it is what it is. If I go to, if I go to uh, Alabama 
the culture is different in Alabama and I have to accept it. So I could sit there and say, man, these guys, you know, they're this and they're that they talk like this and blah, blah, blah. but that's their culture in Brazil. The, the culture is very different than it is in North America. And this is their thing that we're, we're still trying to, to adapt and learn to it. Uh, is it, is it culty? Is it wrong? I don't know. I mean, I see, I, I kind of see all, I, I, I decided a long time ago not to really like, like have a stake in that, in that argument anymore, because I see both ends of it. You know, I see the guys that the instructors and coaches that demand loyalty, but they're also the ones that are loyal to the students. But then I also see blind loyalty where the instructor will say, you know, you must do this, 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 but you can't even talk to them. So every case is kind of different. And um, like I said, I kind of understand from both sides of perspective. I understand where, you know, a student will say, hey, I want to wear whatever gi I want. But I also understand the academy owner saying, I got bills to pay, number one. You know, so you're helping us keep the doors open. Number two, it also looks a lot more uniform. You know, I'm part of a gym that we don't have to wear our particular gi, but we have like a, a color uniformity. So we'll always wear white gis. And it's just, we just do it because we think it looks more professional and clean. Um, and I think it does, you know, as opposed to just everyone wearing red and, you know, camouflage and so forth, you know. So I was, I was getting more, though, at the financial part of this. Like, what happens if the student comes and cancels? Like, I lost my job. I can't afford, not me, but, but for example, I've lost my job. I can't afford to train. Yeah. I go to my instructor and say, I got to cancel. Does this guy charge me a cancellation fee? Does he put me on hold? Does he, like, say, hey, you can still take part in the online learning till you get back on your feet? Like, I think you're going to see a big divide. Yeah. On I was talking more about that in customer service okay. because yeah. you're going to see like, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, there's, yeah. there's a two way street, like a, everyone should pay. I think if they can to keep the school yeah. open, because then there's yeah. not going to be a school, but at the same time is your instructor understanding. Yeah. If you can't pay. I, you know, and also sometimes the instructor doesn't even have the, um, the ability to kind of, you know, a lot of these instructors now, they'll just set you up with a third party uh, processing firm, right? So yep. sometimes they don't even have the ability to maybe freeze or cancel your membership and, you know, without charging you or anything like that. Who knows what's going on? I think every case is different. I know some instructors that are saying, hey, listen, if this thing lasts another three months, you know, if you, if you do decide to pay your membership and not cancel, we'll tack that on your membership at the end of the year. I know some instructors that have said, you know what, guys? we're freezing everyone's membership for the time being, um, you know, and we appreciate any donations. So everyone's kind of dealing with it differently, but it's like you said, if you're not servicing your clients during this time and the other four gyms are in your city or in your town and, you know, you have a student that just can't afford it, he still loves jujitsu. He's going to go somewhere when he can. So, you know, you, you got to be careful to burn that bridge as a business owner. Does this thing about belt promotions in your view? Like if I take a Zoom class three times a week, am I putting in time to earn my black belt? Or am I just, I mean, because this thing could go, I mean, we're talking in a few months, but what if this goes a year? What is that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that I think could affect the sport in a yeah. big way. Well, we're starting to already see a, a, an increase of like online training and, and, you know, some people doing some like kind of promotions over video and stuff like that. That's already begun. Um, I think, I mean, I, I would hate for it to be to honestly to get to that point where people are getting graded because if you can't feel 
or you know physically see the person on the mat performing or you can't see them sparring it, it, i don't know it's just not the same you know what i mean there obviously there's exceptions to the rule um if somebody was just about to get graded on the day that the you know covid-19 came out and and then you you know he's there and his brother just so happens to be his best training partner and you watch him you know do the techniques and you say you know what i mean like there's obviously exceptions but I really hope we don't dilute the sport in the sense that we end up doing like online promotions and stuff. I hope everyone has the patience. And if if jujitsu learns or teaches you one thing, it's patience and how to adapt to the situation. So please be patient. Don't do any of those online promotions yet. <laughs> On that note, do you think it was already going down the path of dilution? And I only say that because when we were running in the same circles, there weren't many black belts. Yeah. Like Jeff Jocelyn was, oh my God, Jeff Jocelyn's here. Like yeah. that was a big deal. Um, yeah. Wagney, Fabiano, that was yeah. a big deal. Shaw Franco, Richie Nanku, like there was all these guys, Joe, that were black belts, but there wasn't many of them. It mm. seems there are far more today than ever before. So do you see, and, and Joe is in the king of, I mean, I call him the king of strip ball karate. <laughs> Nothing against Taekwondo, but you can, you can learn in Taekwondo from the most traditional, the traditional. Yeah. And then you can get the, the McDojo belt factories. Do you think Jiu-Jitsu is in danger of that anyway? It's becoming too popular, if you will. So the way I see it is this, is you have some, okay. So number one, um, there's just a huge increase of people practicing jujitsu. So if there's an increase of the number of participants practicing jujitsu, the number of black belts is going to increase, you know, obviously. Right. So that's number one. Number two, when I speak to a lot of the top level black belts, they are very open to admit that if they competed against a black belt of today, today's like top level, they would get their ass kicked. So the sport is not like diluting the technical abilities of the black belts as far as the sport, as far as a fighting uh, martial art, that's another story because it's, it's, it's really split these days into, you know, self-defense and fighting and sport. Um, I see beauty in that. I see this as a martial art or sport that, or, or just jujitsu, something you could do both. You could do it for, you could just do it for the lifestyle. You could just do it to stay in shape. So I, I see the beauty in that and as, as opposed to the other people that are constantly like arguing about it and saying like, bullshit, the sport sucks. And it's this, no, because like I said, the top black belts of the old days will, will, will they'll admit to you that they wouldn't, they wouldn't cut it today. If they put them in a time machine, you know, from, from the year 2000 and, and had them fight today's black belt open way champion, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do well. So are you, are you saying on record then that, that Hoist Gracie would not beat Gordon Ryan in a no-gi match? What's the, what's the rules? <laughs> <laughs> God. I mean, You're, no, listen, listen. I this is what, like, listen, Hoist is, I like it. Uh, Hoist is my first idol, but we got to call a spade a spade. Gordon Ryan is the current ABCC open weight, two gold, gold medals champion. He's, he's, he's the greatest no-gi grappler right now next to Andre, and Andre Galvao him are right there, right? Hoist has not competed in jiu-jitsu since 1998 when he got choked out by Wallet Ismail on the beach of Copacabana. Now, does that not mean, does that mean he's not a badass? He's a badass. Does that mean that he can't submit 99% of the world? Yes, he can. 
But when you look at the highest level of competition, he hasn't competed since 1998 in grappling. So it's unfair to say he has any chance against Gordon Ryan. Even today's grapplers don't have a chance against Gordon Ryan. He's, he's, he's the best right now currently. So you, you brought him up, Andre Galveo. I have so many questions about him and Gordon Ryan. Yeah. So is that beef real? Or is it Gordon Ryan just talking to try and sell tickets? Now, Joe, I don't know if you know who Gordon Ryan is, but he's probably the best grappler on the planet. I think he is, in my opinion. But he runs his mouth a lot. He talks a lot of shit, and he's controversial. At the same time, I think he's the highest paid grappler on the planet as well. And so it's worked for him. So if you look at it, it's he's the Floyd Mayweather of grappling is how I would describe him. And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll put it one one step further. Floyd only fights like how often does Floyd fight? Oh yeah, Gordon fights anybody, anywhere, anytime under their rule set. It does not matter. He's fearless. Yeah. So, the, so there's not. I don't think that there's necessarily a beef. I think that they've had some words in the past, but when 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 Gordon won the open weight championship this past year, and Andre won the super fight. What happens in ADCC is whoever the super fight winner is fights whoever wins the open weight champion. And, you know, they faced off and, and even afterwards they were actually pretty friendly with each other. I think Gordon has some issue with like some of his students and, you know, um, he's, he's pretty vocal, you know, and, and a lot of that is marketing just to get matches. A lot of it, like, like Rob said, like he, he opens his mouth and he speaks because whether he pisses you off or whether you like what he has to say, you're going to see what he has to say. You're going to watch it and you're going to consume it. So he's got haters and he's got appreciators worldwide, but he is probably the most highest paid grappler on the planet. And the biggest difference, like I said earlier, is he competes so regularly. Like after ADCC was fighting Paul Yarez the next weekend, one of the most dangerous men in the UFC, uh, Gordon fought him and tapped him or he beat him in the super fight the next week. Then he was fighting like, so many times after that. So there's a huge difference. And I think it's just, it's crazy because we've never seen somebody in our sport be that good, but have that mouth and, and be able to talk so well. And, and then the scary part is, is if anyone tries to say anything to him on social media, Oh my God, he'll spend 24 hours just roasting you. So you, you have, you got to be quick and you got to know what, the, and you got to have the time in your hands and you got to have tough skin to, to battle with them. So it's a psychological and physical battle on and off the mats if you're going against Gordon Ryan. But man, he's he's really something special. Do you do you like seeing that brought to the sport? If it brings a growth to the sport, because let's face it, a guy like Gordon Ryan is good for your business, but he's also very non-traditional, and some people do not like that. Do you think you wish more people were like Gordon Ryan because it so, helps you grow or helps the sport grow? Okay. So what I, what I, this is my perspective on that. I think that there's a difference between hype and trash talk. Okay. So you could get two of the greatest grapplers in the world. Okay. I'll give you an example. Um, Marcus Almeida Bouchesha and Hodger Gracie. People wanted to see the rematch a couple years ago in Brazil. And it was one of the biggest fights of the of centuries, right? No trash talk. It wasn't necessary because of how good they were. And they're so good that anything they say could be nice, something nice. People latch onto it. They just, the value was in, 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 in the quality of the match, right? Um, but they're the exception to the rule, right? They're not, they're not the rule. Now, other guys, they could be almost there, 
you put them in front of a microphone and say, hey, you know, like, what can you say about your opponent? And they say the same five lines. Oh, I don't, I do my talking on the mat. I don't really talk trash. You know, uh, I work very hard, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But nothing that hypes the fight. Now, on the other end of this perspective, do I think that you need to like assault people online and talk, you know, crap about them, you know? And I mean, I think there's a line that like you can, you can go to, to, to hype the fight. And do I want to see it happen every single time? No, because it, it gets sad. Like if you see like AG Agazarm was like, it, it's so artificial. He's just like talking crap and it's, it becomes so obvious what some people are trying to do. It's just like in the UFC, like some people are trying to be the next Mayweather. Well, there's only one or, or next McGregor. There's only one McGregor. You know what I mean? There's only one guy that could talk the shit and back it up. And in grappling, it's 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 different. You know what I mean? So some guys they don't want to say anything, but they're not doing a good job of hyping it. So you got to say something, even if you don't want to say, you know, man, I, you know, uh, I'm gonna slap his mom or something. I don't. You don't need to say that. You got to say something to get people interested. It can't just be the same. I'm working hard and I do all my talking on the mat. Otherwise, people don't want to see it. Or your accolades. And, you know, must be so high. So it's always this kind of weird balancing act that the athletes do. It's either they don't say anything at all or they talk too much or it's like, you know, we're trying to find that balance of like hype that's just right in the middle and not pushing the line of, of trash talk all the times. I like it. Is Gordon Ryan going to beat Galveo? Who do you think wins that fight? So it's a tough one. Um, you know, Gordon, Gordon is at his prime. Um, in the rule set of ADCC, Galvan could win this because um, the wrestling is a huge factor, um, you know, but Gordon can win it too. It's, it's so tight. You know what I mean? If Gordon, like the, the, the best assets that Gordon have, we haven't seen Galvan in those positions, which is not just his leg locks, but the back attacks, you know, he's, he's become, you know, tremendous to his back taking system and his guards even getting better and better. So we don't necessarily see him Galvan in those positions when he when he's fighting anymore because he's so damn dominant with his takedowns, his wrestling, uh, his back control. So it's I don't know, man. I, I, we'll see what happens. The only thing I could say is, you know, Galvan, he you know he fought this year. He's going to wait two years to fight Gordon again, and before that, he waited two years. So once every two years, the ring rust is going to be there. I think it's real and. Um, It'd be interesting to see, but man, if Galvao goes with the same uh, ferocity, the same game plan, the same uh, training, the same uh, you know, the same uh, camp that he went into the last ADCC super fight, he could very well beat Gordon Ryan. How old is Galvao right now? I think he's thirty-seven. I want to say two years is a long time. Does that affect him? Do you know what I mean? Like because Gordon, yeah. 27, yeah. 28. I mean, it, I'd be uh, concerned about a 39 year old at that point. Yeah. Fighting Gordon because yeah. Gordon's really going to get better. But I mean, yeah. if you keep dragging your feet, I mean, there's a big difference between like a 90 year old fighting an 80 year old. Like you got pretty even odds there, but like a yeah. 40 versus a 30, like, uh, so, I mean, yeah. maybe he just drags his feet for the next 20 or 30 years and it's a little more even fight. Fights <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it down the road. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think like, you know, honestly, like Galvan is not a guy that, that, that pushes the brakes. Like he, he does not stop working out. Like if you look at him, he looks like, he looks like he, man, like his, he's in amazing shape. He trains harder than everyone. 
And, um, you know, when he's in competition mode, he doesn't take it lightly. He's 100%, you know, so um, I don't think it'll ever be a question of will he be unprepared. I don't think that will be the question as far as physical training, as far as conditioning and physical preparation. Technically, he has a room full of killers, killers, so many world champions in that room. So technically speaking, he will be prepared. Um, the, the thing is, it's just the timing of competition. That's, that's going to be the biggest question mark. And the gray area will be if Gordon attacks him first, you know, and, and studies Galvao's game long enough to prepare for that, what will Galvao do? But, man, it's going to be a good one. Can't wait to see it. Does Gordon have a claim to being the greatest of all time right now? Or does he have to beat Galvao to cement that? For no key grappling. You know what I mean? Because that's a talk that I see a lot. Is he the greatest of all time? He's done a bunch of stuff that nobody else in the sport has done. I mean, you can make an argument already. Does he have to beat Galvao for that to be cemented? I don't think that he has to, but I do think that the whole greatest of all time thing is kind of like a made up funny title. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I remember it's like, it's this expression that we, we all, we all have different criteria of what the greatest of all time is. Okay. So in, in some jujitsu people's opinion, Marcelo Garcia is the greatest of all time. Why? Because he was 170 pounds fighting Rico Rodriguez, 350 pounds tapping him out. He was, he was a small guy beating big guys. In some people's opinion, that means you're the greatest. Some people would say Rafa Mendes is the greatest of all time because of the the gym stories of of him destroying you know world champions that are 240 pounds you know monsters. So that's another opinion, right? And now if you look at the 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 numbers game, if you want to look at ADCC accolades, um, you know Galvão won 2011. He won his division in open. So Gordon's done that. Okay. Um, you know, the one thing that Gordon has on him is, is a third division that he has a gold. Galvan doesn't have that, but Galvan also has three or four consecutive super fight titles. So it becomes a question of what you value more, the super fight title, which means you fought the current openweight champion, or do you consider the openweight champion championship more prestigious? So it's, it's, it's a hard thing to say. I, I think that if he does stay undefeated, all the way to that fight, and he beats Andre Galvao, he is the undisputed greatest of all time Nogi grappler. Undisputed. No one can say anything. All right. How do we grow this sport? What needs to happen? Because I think it's beautiful, but Joe, we're not watching this on ESPN. Right, right. Well, this right? is, like, this is not- the same with, with sport taekwondo, right? Like, how do you grow the sport of taekwondo? And their, their goal uh, was to get it into the Olympics. Like once it's in the Olympics, it'll take off. But like, let's be honest, the, the way the sport plays out, it's not super viewer friendly. You know what I mean? It's not something that can be uh, uh, compared to like WWE, where you've got these big entrances and music and lights. It's kind of boring. If you don't know the sport, you can't, you can't watch it. So I would think for, for jujitsu, the goal has to be to get people to understand like, the art itself to a level that they can appreciate watching people at a very high level compete. I mean, if you yeah. know nothing about golf, golf is the most boring thing to watch, but if yeah. you know a little bit, now you're in that guy's head and you're kind of seeing like why they're choosing those clubs. And in that scenario, why are they doing it this way? So yeah. there, there has to be a way to get people who aren't already in the sport familiar enough with the sport to really, to want to watch it, to be able to draw something out of it. 
Yeah, I think that um, what's happening now is there's a slow progression to get becoming a mainstream sport. Um, it's taking a lot longer than we want, but there's a lot of cool steps that have that have kind of happened organically that will get us there. So number one, um, the there is an organization in uh, based out of Abu Dhabi. It's called the AJP Tour, and the AJP Tour works with the Abu Dhabi World Pro, which is the biggest uh, professional jiu-jitsu organization in the world. And in the UAE JGF as well. So they work with the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, and they are doing everything to become an Olympic sport, to put jiu-jitsu in as an Olympic sport. So the issue is this, the IOC recognizes jiu-jitsu as, as a sport, but not as a recognized Olympic game yet because they haven't hit all of the criterias. It is their agenda. They have the finances and they have the ability to get to the Olympics. Now, the greatest thing that they did about this was they changed the rules. They made shorter time limits. They added, they took away advantages and they added stall clocks to push the action. So with this initiative, I'm confident that if they actually reach the Olympics, it will be more exciting than it is now. So that's one thing. Number two, we all know that right now, out of all the martial arts, jiu-jitsu has become the cool celebrity martial art. So that's not slowing down until somebody reinvents the UFC, puts another martial art that can beat it. Like I'm talking not mixed martial arts, but an actual martial art. And, and I say that because like, you know, my father was a karate instructor and once in a while he gives me these old, you know, an old <laughs> Italian guy and he's like, ah, it's just a fad like karate was back in the day. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe you're right, pops, but we kicked karate's ass. So, you know what I mean? Like as long as that fact is, as long as that doesn't change, jiu-jitsu will keep staying as the coolest and, and on the forefront, I truly believe, you know. And, um, you know, there's a couple other things that are happening, but, like, you know, companies like Flow Sports, which I do some work for, um, you know, they're really working hard on, on, you know, creating documentaries on the top athletes, and, and, you know, their social media reach is enormous now. So people are, are recognizing, like, there was a kid that they had an event on, and he did this crazy technique. In like four months, the, the thing got 12 million views, a Facebook um, video of this kid doing one technique, a kid that no one knew who he was. So there are a lot of initiatives that are helping to grow the sport. You know, we were talking about it earlier. There's so many black belts now. Well, why is there so many black belts? Because there's so many people training. Think of it. If there's 10 black belts in the academy, there's probably 100 students for sure. It takes a lot. Like, it's a long time to get a black belt. So you know, for, for every 10, there's probably one, 10 students, there's probably one black belt in each gym, right? It's, it's, so I think we're on the right path. I think that the rules are changing. Um, celebrities are, are getting it, you know, helping it get notoriety. Um, do I think maybe it needs to be on ESPN? Maybe, you know, maybe the Olympics will do it. But I also know some sports that hate being on the Olympics and they think that it, it ruined the sport. So it's, it's tough. I like the fact that it's growing slowly and like, the the mass appeal like there's so many countries doing jujitsu believe it or not i was at the abu dhabi world pro and uh, last year 390 competitors from kazakhstan wow. went to this tournament in the abu dhabi world pro and they were paid to go there by the kazakhstan government i had no idea that they did jujitsu in kazakhstan because <laughs> all i knew about kazakhstan was borat 
And yeah. I tried to crack a Borat joke in the elevator with them, and they didn't think that shit was funny. So all I know is if Kazakhstan is, if that's happening in Kazakhstan, just think about it. You know what I mean? There's all these other countries, Chechnya, Russia, Jiu-Jitsu is spreading like wildfire. So I, I don't think that it's, I think we're, we're almost there. You know, and the other thing too is, as a professional sport, it's not a professional sport like uh, World Surf League or these other sports in a sense because but but it, like they're they're like one you know professional entity that pays all the athletes or like the ufc for example right ufc is is the you know is the premier mixed martial arts organization it's a professional sport mixed martial arts i hope i'm not boring you there bobby maximus but I yawn all the time, <laughs> okay <laughs> so anyways there, there's not one league out there that pays everyone as pro grapplers to fight compete and then a salary no that doesn't happen but what there is, is about 20 pro leagues from all over the world. And all the, the federations offer prize money. So we did the math on it. If you fought, if you're a black belt, if you're the best black belt, you fight the IBJJF, you win the worlds, you win the prize money. And I think it's like 15 grand. If you win the Abu Dhabi World Pro, it's another 15 grand. If you win the ranking, the top athlete of the ranking of both, that's another 15 to 20 grand each, okay? Now, if you do one to two super fights and you're a high-level black belt, you're looking at anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 a month. You know, if you have DVD sales, you, you know, there's, there's that. There's, there's tons of ways to supplement your income. So there's athletes at the highest level. You mentioned Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan publicly posts his bank record where he's showing everyone he's making – you know, uh, half a million to a million dollars a year. So, so we're not uh, one, you know, professional sport organization, but jujitsu is becoming professionalized and there's more organizations growing and growing. And if the fan base and fighter base grows, the more that they'll be able to support the live gate, the more that the live gate uh, supports the show, the bigger the show can be. Uh, entities like Flow Grappling and UFC Fight Pass can pay the promotions for uh, digital rights fees. And, you know, the sky's the limit. So I, I think we're just on the cusp of a huge expansion. And hopefully it all happens within the next couple of years after the corona. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what uh, jiu-jitsu's yeah. got going for it. It's the same thing soccer's got going for it is you don't really need any equipment, even less for jiu-jitsu, even less if you're doing no gi, right? Like exactly. you just need the ground and like another person and you can get pretty good at it. If you've got a decent instructor, like you don't need anything special. There's no barriers to entry. Even with soccer, you got to at least have a ball. If you can't yeah. get a soccer ball where you live, you can't play soccer. But that's why most countries don't play American style football because you got all the gear. Hockey, you got to have all the gear. Like you yeah, can't play that without point. it. So I think that's one of the reasons for jujitsu's popularity is it's just so accessible. If you're a human being who's alive, you can learn jujitsu, and and it because it challenges you because it takes so long to get a black belt. Like you can't get into it and just like like flash in the pan kind of like, Oh, that was fun for a while. And I'm going to go do something else. It's like, no, if you want to get good at it, you got to stay good at it. And so it has that staying power too. And, and, and the other thing too is, is, you know, I'm sure Rob, you can, you can, you can attest to this is it's not like wrestling, um, like amateur wrestling, like that takes a toll on your body. You know, you can't do that as a 50 year old man. You can't, you can't say as a 50 year old man, Hey, I want to start amateur wrestling today. You can't. It's it's like where are you gonna go? You're gonna go to the local university and say, "Hey, sign me up for classes today." There's no gyms that do that really. And then it's not just the the, the sign up; it's the physical, uh, you know, the, the physical pain that you have to go through. It's it's really really 
part of the body. But you look at jujitsu, there's a lady on the Instagram. She's called like the jujitsu grandma, 70 years old, 70 years old. She's still competing. She's a white belt. She's got curly hair. She's out there tapping old ladies. You know what I mean? She's, she's competing. So what other combat sport can you start at 60 to 70 yours? What can you think of? I can't think of any other ones. Maybe Tai Chi, but you're not, but that's not it's really not even competitive. Yeah. No. And that's the whole part. That's why it has an advantage over every other martial arts because when push comes to shove, it's the dominant martial art. It has the answers that all the other martial arts don't have. So, so all that said, uh, to wrap up the podcast, yeah. what do you want to accomplish? Like in the sport of jujitsu and also your own life, like you want to be like a Ariel Helwani and be like the main correspondent on ESPN for the UFC or jujitsu or something like that. What are your goals? So my personal goals are not to necessarily become like the dorkiness of Aaron Hawani, but I do want to be recognized <laughs> as, um, as you know, the, the definitive, you know, analyst, um, commentator, I, I, that, you know, that I, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't my goal. I want to be known as, you know, the, the best commentator in jiu-jitsu and grappling, um, you know, and it's not just for me, it's, it's, so that I can, I, I, I'm selfish with this. Like I learn a lot out of commentating. I learn a lot. I do breakdowns on my thing. I, I get to talk to some of the best black belts, but it's not, it's not just because I'm doing it, um, you know, for, for the, for the, for everyone out there. I'm, I, I am doing it in a way, but I also want to be able to get knowledge from and soak up knowledge, just keep absorbing knowledge so I can pass that on to my students. So I can let the community, you know, learn more about the history of jujitsu and all the technical things. So my personal thing is to become one of the best commentators, um, you know, one of the best analysts, uh, one of the best authorities. I want to be the best instructor I can be. You know, I want to eventually, after I get my knee surgery, I want to eventually start competing again one day. Um, you know, so those are kind of like my personal goals. And I think also just try to use jiu-jitsu as a vehicle to help other people. You know, I know so many people that have had their lives saved and ruined, but mostly saved from jiu-jitsu. And I want to be able to, you know, let jiu-jitsu kind of, you know, give people uh, something to do. I think the, you know, the physicality, the, the, the endorphins that you feel, the satisfaction and just being addicted to this rather than other nonsense out there. I think it's such an amazing thing. So my goals are, you know, they're kind of big, but uh, that's just, I just keep plugging away day to day. As far as the sport, I just, I just want the sport. I, you know, when I, when I, when I do jujitsu and I feel, and I get that feeling at the end of class, I'm like, man, this is the greatest thing in the, in the world. I just want everyone to feel that, you know what I mean? So I want the sport to grow to a point where, you know, everyone can benefit, but, but mostly the athletes can benefit from competing in it. Cause I feel like, you know, some of these guys are, are some of the best trained athletes in the world. There's no reason where, why an ADCC champion is not being paid millions of dollars, like a golf pro, like, give me, give me a break here. You know what I mean? And I understand that golf is more popular. I get it. But the amount of training that goes into it, it's not even it's not even the same. Well, so. let's be fair. Golf has just got a ton of money behind it because billionaires play it. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? We're starting to get some wealthy people interested in jujitsu. They're financing pro events. Um, like listen, the Sheikh in Abu Dhabi does the ADCC. Mm-hmm. His brother, Sheikh Mohammed, finances the Abu Dhabi World Pro and the AJAP tour. So we're getting there, you know, we're getting there. Hopefully some of these big golf rich people start getting into jiu-jitsu and then we'll take it to the how you know how Bundy does jiu-jitsu he's yeah. really good yeah he's a black belt he certainly he does is. well yeah so there's there's a i 
like how you brought up the celebrity thing because there are a lot of people on the jujitsu train lately. Like every yeah. time I open my Instagram, Henry Cavill is Superman. Yeah. Demi Lovato loves jujitsu. Yeah. Like there's a whole group of people that have embraced it. Yeah, I look at it's funny because my kids, you know, I, I have three kids, two boys, and they're they're big Marvel and DC, you know, comics superhero fans. And I said, look, guys, look, Superman does jujitsu. You know, and then Aquaman was doing it. Jason Momoa. I'm like. Aquaman does jujitsu. And then they're like, dad, does, does Wolverine do it? And I'm like, shit, I gotta look for that picture. I'm pretty sure he does. You know what I mean? I got, but yeah, it's, it's like you said, like the, the mass appeal of Demi Lovato, all these other celebrities are doing it. Uh, uh, you know, what's that English com- comedian, Russell, Pete, no, Russell Peter. English. He's Canadian. What's wrong with, what's the, what's, know, what's the other guy with the long hair? The, uh, Russell Brand. No. Russell Brand, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, he yeah. Does, he does it. I was like, "What?" Russell Peters is into it too. I was going to say first, you you insult poor Ariel for being a dork who's a Canadian. Now you go after Russell Peters, but Russell Peters does do jujitsu on the regular, like loves it. Yeah. He does it with yeah. the the machados. So yeah, yeah. pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's you awesome. Know? There's a lot of celebrities, and it's just going to keep growing. You know, I think that uh, look, I know uh, Maynard Keenan from Tool used to bring guys with them. And you know, even he Demi, what's that? He loves jujitsu too. Yeah. yeah, he actually like I I don't know if it was like orchestrated or not, but like some like a fan jumped on the stage once and he like hip tossed <laughs> them and like took them down or something. You know, and it's funny because like uh, Demi Lovato is you know when she came to Toronto a few years back, she actually was like had a jujitsu guy like uh, one of the coaches from California come with her and then like call us and say like, Hey, is there a place near where she's going to be doing the concert? She just wants to get some mat time in. So like you look at a girl, she's about to perform in front of thousands of people. She's adored by all these fans. And the only thing she's concerned about is getting some roles in the day before her concert. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It just shows you the power of, you know, that the sport really has and how addictive it really is. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's great yeah. to see a name from my past. Joe, yeah. he watched me in my infantile jujitsu <laughs> days. This is when Marco Costa tried to disqualify me from every jujitsu tournament I ever went in simply because I was a white guy, Joe. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. This stuff happens. Yeah, I believe it. You're a, you're a ferocious dude, though. Let's, let's be real. You're a, you're a scary was, guy. <laughs> but you're always nice to talk to. You were scary. You did your scariness. You, you put the fear on the mats and in the cage and in the ring. But you're always cool to talk to, so I, I respect that. You know, I got, I got some old videos. You may have them, too. But I got the one against Sugar Bear. Yep. And then I've got an old-school one of me going against Misha Surkinov. Oh, wow of all people back in the day. And it's the most pathetic grappling match ever because we just wrestle. Like it was just, neither of us knew really what to, you know, what to do, but it's pretty funny because he turned out to have a great career as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and personally, I love what you're doing with the sport. I love your Instagram, love the people you're interviewing and love what you're trying to push because this has been a huge part of my life. So appreciate you leading the charge on that. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm, you know, really this year, I really decided to kind of put myself out there and I'm really trying to push it. And, uh, you know, same to you, man. I think it's, it's really, it's always cool to see somebody, you know, local kind of, uh, you know, get out of the sandbox and, you know, kind of go over and, and do other things and venture into other areas. And you've, you know, you've become, it's funny because like I know guys that know you from the fitness industry and, and I'm just like, man, that's, 
Rob McDonald, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's so it's weird sometimes when when the different worlds kind of collide. You know what I mean? Like you just it's it's funny, but that that shows true success. So for me, I'm I'm super happy for you, man. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure being on here, and I can't thank you enough for having me on. Well, no, and anything anything you need that we can help you with, let us know because, yeah. like I said, I love what you're doing and. Knowing you gives me street credit with, uh, <laughs> I think, I think, I don't even know if this could be on the podcast, but Suyan and Carlos think I'm fucking crazy. They give me shit all the time. But it <laughs> turns out I'm friends with Silvio Baring or yeah. I'm yeah. friends with you. Yeah. I get some, I get some street credit. So that's yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, I think Carlos knows who I am. I don't know about Suyan, but man, Suyan's a bad, both those guys are, they're OGs to the truest sense. Suyan used to fight like bare knuckle in Brazil, man. You don't get a little hardcore than that. <laughs> that guy's a Yeah, no, for dude. sure. He is. It, it, it's actually funny because he is the one in the gym that Suyan treats it like it's an Olympic sport. Yeah. It is his life. He doesn't understand fundamentally in Suyan's soul. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. He does not understand why I don't show up on Christmas morning to train. Wow. I believe it. That's just, it's like, there's no days off there. It is like jujitsu. He wants me competing at every tournament, showing up on, on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, on Easter, on, he is a serious dude. But that comes from, his, winning everything. that's that, that comes from his lineage, you know, and then his instructor, Carlson Gracie was one of the best there was. And it was that hardcore, no days off. You know, there's no Disneyland here. Every day is bad day. Come in and train and shut up. That's where he came from. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of respect to Carlson. So you have what they did because they produced some savages and they're reproducing a savage like yourself, Bobby Maximus. So keep up the good work. Yeah, they, they give me my love of jujitsu back. But that's that's another thing them too, because the culture of that school is, you know, I was lucky Toronto to train with Shaw Franco. Yeah. And, and Sylvia was there on a regular basis and it was special, I think, yeah. with Richie Nanku and Antonio Cavallo and yeah. Marco Costa, Justin Bruckman. I don't know if yeah. he's still alive. Yeah, um, yeah. He's got his own podcast too. There's a bunch of guys out there and I was like, I gotta, I gotta get on it. Yeah. All my heroes from back in the day. That's but it. Listen, it's been a blast and thank you so much. Thank you very much, brother. Thanks again and I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. Because you're the last of a dying breed.